Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. Ah, <laughs> uh, hello there. How delightful it is to see you once again at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I saw as you walked through the doorway that you had your eye on something special, and have I got the piece just for you. If you look over here, I took the liberty of pulling this out. This is a vintage toy, a classic toy, if you will, a chatterphone from the brand Fisher Price. Now, this was introduced in the 1960s, early 60s, as the Talkback phone in 61 was renamed the Chatterphone in 1962 and has become a staple among children's toys for for decades now this particular piece is probably from the mid 70s if you look at it it has the classic toy phone look although this has wheels not like your ordinary phone and has moving eyes and a nose that if you pull this along with the string the eyes and nose move it makes noise a delight for children everywhere although if you look at it closely the eyes seem to move without the assistance of being pulled on this string now that is indeed part of the oddity we find in today's episode of odds bodkin's curiosity shop so let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new film skinnamarink So, Skinamarink is a film that I, I really didn't have much of a working knowledge of this. I, I know a lot of people did. Uh, you know, it made the film festival circuit and was was getting some buzz last year in 2022. There was a bit of a leak, and the the actual film got leaked online. Uh, so, it kind of pushed up the release date for this film. But I had not really heard anything about it until my wife and I went to watch the movie Megan, and at the theater that we watched this in one of the trailers was for Skinamarink and I remember sitting there watching it just kind of mesmerized by what was going on with this trailer and the, the vintage look and, and all the odd things that uh, the odd imagery that you were seeing and I can't remember what exactly happened in the trailer but I heard my wife beside me saying nope and that is a, a sheer sign, a, a classic sign for my wife that uh, that is a movie she is not going to go watch with me. And and that was the case. Now, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to watch this in theaters because I found out afterwards it was having a limited theatrical release before being released on Shudder. And actually, the Shudder release of this is going to happen next month. It's happening in February, so you don't have to wait long if you're not able to see this in the theater. But I I did notice that the theater that is in the town I live in uh, was showing a limited run of this, like a, a few day run. And I happened to catch it on the last day, I believe, that they were showing this. And uh, I, I'm kind of glad that I did because it certainly was an experience. I don't know if I can say it... <laughs> 
it's a good movie or a bad movie. I, I, I don't really know how to categorize this movie. So that's really what we're going to talk about. Now, uh, before I go any further, I do want to warn you that there are going to be spoilers. I'm going to try not to be too spoilery, and I don't even know how spoilery I can be because there's so much going on in this movie, but there's not a huge narrative to tell you about. And it's kind of odd. So I am going to say that there are going to be some things spoiled for you in this. If you listen to this podcast, uh, I encourage you to go check it out. If it's still in a movie theater near you, check it out. If not, it is going to be on Shudder coming up next month. So I encourage you to get that. Shudder is well worth the, the few bucks that you're going to put down every month for it because they have some great original content. They have great content like Skinamarink, which uh, I think, while it, it is odd and different, I think that's what horror fans are really digging about it. And we'll, we'll kind of get into the nuts and bolts of that a little bit later. But go watch Skinamarink. Come back and listen to this if you've already watched it. Uh, or if you're not even sure, you're not even sure what the Skinamarink's about. Uh, I think I'm going to leave enough to the imagination that you're still going to enjoy it. Uh, or, or maybe you won't enjoy it. This, this definitely is a film that is not going to be for everyone. So from here on out, possible spoilers. I can't promise you anything at this point. So this movie is written and directed by Kyle Edward Ball. He's a Canadian filmmaker, and he's made a bit of a name for himself on YouTube. He has a YouTube channel with a... Um, I don't know if the channel's called this, but he has a, uh, a bit he does on his channel called bite-sized nightmare where uh, people can tell him in the comments a nightmare they had and he will do a an adaptation of that nightmare in, in like a short film format and he's done a lot of other short films and we'll talk about one of those in particular here in a minute but so he's gathered a bit of a following there and of course one of those short films that he did was a short film called heck which he did back in 2020, I believe. And it was really developed as a proof of concept for the film Skinamarink. And I tell you what, I just watched that. Before doing this podcast, uh, I knew about Heck, and I was like, I, I really got to watch this before I talk about Skinamarink because I kind of want to get a bigger picture of what's going on. And, and maybe there might be some things in Heck that really help guide me into validating my ideas for what Skinamarink is about. And, and I'll talk about that towards the end, my thoughts on what happens in this movie. But it really was a little little more enlightening than the actual Skinamarink movie. I think it spells things out a little more about what's happening. Uh, now, I don't know if there's a direct correlation between what goes on in Heck and what goes on Skinamarink, or if it's just, you know, one idea that morphed into another idea. But again, we'll talk about that coming up just a little bit later. But you could really see in 2020 when Kyle Edward Ball did Heck, you really saw what he really had planned for Skinamarink. And in seeing Heck, you, you really saw a, a look into the future, a glimpse into the future as to what we would see coming down the pike with Skinamarink. But this is one of those independent horror films that was done on a $15,000 budget. And, and the fact that it's done so well, just in the limited theatrical release, of this and then you know shutter buying the rights on top of that this this film definitely made money uh, much in the vein of other uh, low budget independent horror films in the past like uh, Blair Witch Project comes to mind paranormal activity while it was a little more 
slick and polished um was a very low budget film of low budget horror film that did you know gangbusters at the box office and and much like uh, Blair Witch Project and Paranormal Activity both low budget films that did gangbusters at the box office and scared the shit out of people I think this movie kind of falls in line with that to a degree because it is low budget it is lo-fi if you will and it's got some really scary, creepy moments in this. And it's one of those movies where after you're done watching it, you're like, you just kind of let out a breath of, oh, oh my God, what did what just happened? What did I just watch? When I got done with it, I wasn't like, oh, I just wasted my time. I just, I, it was a lot to process after the fact of what I just witnessed. And I won't say that, I felt that in a good way or a bad way. It just, that's how it was when I finished watching this movie. So we're going to talk uh, a little bit about the movie, talk a little bit about the characters, although it's really hard to talk about characters and performances just because of the way they film this. But first off, I'm going to give you a little brief rundown of the, the main plot. Uh, we're going to talk about the characters in so much as I can without really talking about uh, the characters because the characters aren't so much a a focal point of this as it is the imagery and what these characters are experiencing. But the movie takes place in 1995, although judging by the film stock uh, footage, you know, it's kind of got that Super 8 feel to it. And in watching some interviews with Kyle Edward Ball, uh, you know, he kind of wanted it to have that 70s, grainy 70s feel, uh, like some of those, you know, low-budget horror films of that era. And it really did have that feel to it. It felt like a movie that was set in the 70s, but it is set in 1995. And these two kids... Uh, six-year-old Kaylee and four-year-old Kevin. And we start this all out with Kevin has an accident. Uh, his father is calling what you assume to be his mother. Just by the way he's talking to her, uh, I assume that it's the mother who is not there anymore. So something's happened to this family that the mom's not around, but Kevin falls down the stairs and hurts himself, cuts his head, but it's not bad enough for stitches. And then... We, it's time is really relative in this, and, and timeline is really unreliable in this because then you feel like it is much later. Uh, maybe not too much later, but it's later. It's another night later. And you see the kids up in the middle of the night and you hear these loud noises, these loud bangs, and you're not sure who it is. Is it the father? waking up and finding they're, they're up and out of bed because, you know, Kevin was sleepwalking when he fell down the stairs. Is he upset about that? Uh, it, it almost felt when, when there's these bangs that they've been caught and dad's upset. And it, it almost kind of had a, a feel like this is maybe an abusive household. Without really coming out and say that and without being overt about it, that's the vibe I got from this this first few minutes of this movie and the first few minutes of the setup of the relationships in this movie. What little relationships you really get to see other than uh, Kaylee and Kevin. But then it almost feels like you get another bit of a, a time jump and it's a, maybe another night. I'm not sure. But 
here's the the crux of this story is that these two kids Kaylee and Kevin wake up in the middle of the night find that their father is gone and that all of the windows and the doors leading out of the house have disappeared they're all alone in the stark house by themselves so they they go downstairs and they're watching cartoons and realize that they might not be as alone in this house as they thought they were. Now, this movie from here on out, it's just a a barrage of imagery and ADR. Uh, that Really, this whole movie, any dialogue there is in this, they filmed in ADR, where they're, they're filming it, uh, you know, they're saying the lines, but they're not recording them. And I, I know Kyle Ball talked about the fact that they did that almost part and parcel because of budgetary purposes, but also because he wanted it to give it a, a weird feeling because he could add, you know, some tinniness to the voices. And it really worked in creating this bizarre effect because throughout this whole movie, all of the shots are like low angle shots shooting up. You never see anybody really face on. You never see anybody's face at all when, when there's any dialogue. It's mainly you get to see feet. You get to see shots where the camera is angled up into corners or you might catch the top of a TV screen. And there are maybe a few shots where you get to see like a body from the shoulders down, like when uh, the kids go in or when Kaylee goes into her parents' room at one point, which I I may talk about a little bit later, but you never get to see anybody's face full on except for one scene that is one of the creepiest scenes. Uh, I think that may have been the scene that got my wife to say, nope, uh, that it may have been in the trailer. I can't remember specifically. But you never see anybody's face. You never see anybody's mouth move. And, and that's one of the beauties of, of recording all the dialogue in, in post-production and ADR is that uh, you can really uh, ratchet up the effects on the voices. And it really made for a bizarre, creepy feel. Not only did you have the bizarre like camera angles, uh, you also had this bizarre... I know Kyle Ball said in some points that he wanted the audio to be audible enough so you can just hear it, but kind of distorted and muffled enough that you're not sure what you're hearing. And a lot of those scenes have subtitles. And one of the cool things is that some of the scenes have subtitles, but then it doesn't have a subtitle for everything that's said because there is another disembodied voice that we start hearing later on in the movie that sometimes you can tell what it's saying. Uh, sometimes there are subtitles. Sometimes you can hear it, but you're not exactly sure what's going on. You can't quite make out what this thing is saying. And it just all added to the mood and the atmosphere and, and the creepiness. And you really don't even get that that disembodied voice until later in the movie. I mean, it's got to be at least most way through the second act, if I'm not mistaken. If you can call there being three acts in this. But, but this first part of the movie, you are just seeing these kids checking out the place, sitting there watching cartoons, uh, wondering what's going on. Why have all the doors and the windows disappeared? Why has the toilet disappeared, for God's sake? What if somebody's got to pee? Uh, it, it, it's really weird. And and another thing that I really 
liked about this that added to the creepiness is that Kyle Edward Ball did a really good job of playing with the negative space. You would see the camera linger on doorways where it's nothing but a black void that you can barely see what's what's beyond it. And you just keep waiting in these shots. You keep waiting to see something move. You keep waiting for something to, to pop out or something to manifest. It never does. It really just always keeps you tense and on edge. You'll see lingering shots on a toy or something and you're waiting for it to move unassisted. Uh, now, sometimes the you know they'll they'll have the the camera established on a bunch of Legos, and you'll see a move, but it's because one of the kids are moving it, and you can kind of tell when when that's the case. But but there are moments where you're waiting for it to move, uh, not because of the kids, because of something spooky going on. It never does, but your that anticipation of something like this happening is just. You know, you're you're just like I said, tensed up and on edge for most of this movie because you're waiting for something to happen, and they they're patient enough with this movie. That's the one thing I I have to say. This is a very patient movie with the horror, and but when you get moments of horror, boy, how do do you get moments of horror? And then it's yeah, like I said, probably a, a good portion through the second act. That's when the weird things start happening. You start seeing a, a chair on the ceiling, or uh, you know, more and more throughout this this movie. You know, the the things on the ceiling. They they go upstairs because Kevin has to use the bathroom. Uh, they set up some buckets or something like that. And Kaylee is in her parents' bedroom, and she sees a doll sitting on the ceiling. Things like that happen more and more. And by the end of it, there's just all sorts of shit stuck to walls and stuck to ceilings and things like that. It's just, it's bizarre. And then when you start throwing in this disembodied voice, it just adds so much creepiness to it. There's the one scene where Kaylee goes into her parents' bedroom and finds her dad sitting there. And that's like the one scene you see most of his body from like the shoulders down, but he's sitting on the bed to the bed, hunkered over, and he tells Kaylee to look under the bed. And she looks under the bed and, and you keep waiting for something to pop out or something to reach out or, or see something manifest under there and it doesn't. And she says she doesn't see anything and he tells her to look again and she looks under there and, and still nothing. You're expecting it. Okay, this is the time I'm going to get the scare. And then she comes up and her mother is sitting on the other side of the bed. You only see her from the back. She tells Kaylee to close her eyes and then she's gone. It's just so bizarre and weird and, and creepy and the atmosphere just kind of adds to that. It, it feels like you're smothered in atmosphere with this movie. But yeah, sometime after this, that's kind of when you really start hearing the disembodied voice that sometimes sounds a little normal, almost sounds like it maybe even the, the voice actress who is playing the mother. And they do have actors playing these characters, uh, both live action and the, the ADR voice. Lucas Paul plays Kevin, Dally Rose, Tetralt, uh, I'm probably butchering that name, I apologize, but she plays Kaylee. Ross Paul plays the father, and Jamie Hill plays the mother of, of Kevin and Kaylee. And yeah, I, I almost wonder, I, I, think it's, I think it's Jamie Hill who does the mother's voice that that does the voice of this uh, disembodied entity that sometimes sounds normal, almost sometimes sounds like the mother, but then other times they put like a, an effect that almost makes it feel demonic. And then other than the, the brief interaction between Kaylee and her parents, 
or, or what we think are her parents, uh, Kaylee and Kevin, uh, the only other bits of dialogue we get are between Kaylee and this entity or Kevin and this entity. And th- there's really no explanation as for what this is, other than the brief interactions we get with these two kids and this this voice that we hear, which led to some of the creepiest moments in this movie. Uh, there's a moment where this voice calls Kaylee upstairs and Kevin finds that she's gone and he goes looking for her and he finds her laying on the floor upstairs and she turns or whatever and the... Uh, her eyes and her mouth are missing on her face. Uh, they did it as a jump scare, but God damn, was it effective? And that's that's one of the things that kind of bothered me a little bit about this movie. One of my one of my big critiques of this is this movie did what I hate movies, horror movies today do. Uh, they do the jump scare with the loud noise. It's something creepy that they do the jump cut to it and it's scary enough as it is but then they play this loud sound effect this loud banging or this loud scream or something to to startle you and i I just hate that i want to be scared because of what i'm seeing the horror that i'm seeing i don't want to be startled startling me is is a cheap reaction scaring the shit out of me with a, a jump and something horrific that's that's earning the scare and and i just i hate these these scare tactics that are just meant to startle you i really wish they wouldn't have done that with this because some of the stuff was scary enough as it is uh the the bit with kaylee with her eyes and mouth missing was scary there's a scene where they focus in on the chatter telephone the fisher price chatter telephone that i was talking about earlier it's out of focus and you can make out these two white orbs that you can tell her eyes and maybe the bit of the nose and then when it finally focuses on this the eyes are pointed upwards because this toy when you moved it uh, pulled it on the string on these wheels the wheels would activate a mechanism and the eyes and the nose would move up and down and and all of a sudden you hear this loud clanging noise and the eyes go from looking up to looking right at the, the camera and it was scary as shit you didn't need that big clanging noise to startle me uh that <laughs> a phone uh going from looking up at, and its eyes moving on its own to look right at me right through my soul that would have been scary enough those were scary moments uh one of the creepiest moments that didn't involve a jump scare at all was when kevin uh uh, this is after Kaylee is kind of gone after the scene with her where she has no eyes and no mouth. You have Kevin and he's interacting with this this voice and this voice tells him to take a knife and put it in his eyes. It's so disturbing uh, when this voice, I think it goes a little demonic there and it's just, it's disturbing that this, this voice is telling this little four-year-old boy to do that. And then later the boy calls 911 and is telling, uh, the 911 operator that, uh, he, he hurt himself with a knife and now he feels sick. So, you know, he stabbed his eyes and, and it's just, it's chilling. It's frightening. It's disturbing. Uh, anytime a child is put in harm, but a, a child to be manipulated because uh, the entity told him that uh, it took away Kaylee's mouth because it wouldn't do what the voice told her to do. She just wanted to be with her mom and dad. So it took away her mouth and manipulated Kevin into uh, stabbing his own eyes. You never see it. 
You only see a little trickle of blood on the carpet or the wall. It's not really crystal clear as to where it is. A lot of these shots aren't crystal clear. And I think that's what adds to the, the creepiness and the unknown and the what the hell is going on factor of this. But then from there on out, I mean, the, the end of the movie is just bizarre and weird. Kevin goes upstairs and then all of a sudden he's walking on the ceiling. There's imagery of the house and this very surrealistic... Um, there's this creepy figure sitting on the bed. I don't know. To me, I thought it was supposed to be Kaylee, but it just slowly disappears from the bottom up. And it's it's so odd and bizarre and disturbing. There's images of blood splattering on the floor. There's a, a bunch of photos with people's faces missing and their heads missing. It, it's just a weird kind of bizarre art film montage of, of imagery disturbing imagery and then at the very end uh, one of the other most disturbing things of this is you see this this kind of out of focus uh, floating face appears and keeps telling Kevin to go to sleep and Kevin keeps asking uh, what is your name and it, it silence and he repeats it what is your name and there's nothing and you keep waiting for this this face to come into focus to see what this voice is and what the hell's going on and it never does you just get the end and because they did all the credits at the beginning you don't even get to roll credits it's just the end fade to black lights are on in the theater we're done but yeah this is a movie that had just so much to process and it really helped me by watching the short film heck because a similar situation goes on. It's a kid who who wakes up and their mom is gone. And he he's watching TV downstairs and he's wondering what's going on. And I liken that because in Skinamarink, you get the first day, 1995 title card comes up on the screen. And then just before the end, you see text come up on the screen that says, 572 days so this has been going on for for well over a year a uh, year and a half my, my math on that is not uh probably quite accurate but going on for quite some time that these two kids have been in this house uh going with this whole situation essentially day after day after day after day in the short film heck it takes it even further i mean it gets up into the tens uh, you know, 18,000 days, something like that. This keeps going on day after day. This kid keeps waking up and watching cartoons and, and wondering where mom is and falling asleep and waking up and watching cartoons. I think it really takes it to a, a bigger level than Skinamarink. But with Skinamarink, you still get the same idea with the 572 days. Because I think one of the telling signs of this, and there's no real score to this movie. There are a lot of scenes that have, like I said, they, they made it look like kind of that Super 8 film footage. And really, there's only just a lot of ambient background noise. A lot of, I know Kyle Edward Ball said that he used some hiss tracks and some hum tracks especially when you're changing scenes to show the, the separation of time. But the only thing other than those hiss and hum tracks was the TV on in the background. And the TV constantly had like these old cartoons from the 30s. Max Fleischer's uh, Somewhere in Dreamland, 
Ub Iwerks, uh, Balloon Land, of course, Ub Iwerks, uh, the famous creator of Mickey Mouse, uh, some of the Merry Melodies cartoons from the from the 30s. They're constantly on. And just some of the weird imagery in some of those cartoons really added to the, to the creepiness. But there's several scenes where the cartoon that they're watching, uh, a scene gets caught on a loop. And keeps repeating itself and keeps repeating itself and keeps repeating itself. And the camera lingers on the TV in those. And given that the kids were here 572 days, uh, just kind of showing that it's the same day. It keeps repeating over and keeps repeating over and keeps repeating over. Uh, essentially, the, the same situation that they're in is happening over and over again. It reminds me of the old expression. I don't know if he came up with it. Oh, or it may have been the first person I ever heard use it, but Stephen King has always said, uh, hell is repetition. Uh, I've heard him say it in interviews and in commentaries. I know some of his, his characters have said it, but hell is repetition. And I think that was really telling when you take a look at some of the repetition in this movie and the fact that, you know, these days just keep happening over and over again, 572 days and in the short film, you know, 18,000 some days. And that's kind of what I think is going on here. Uh, I, I really, now this movie is very much up to interpretation and this is certainly only my take on it. You may have seen something different. You may have taken something different from this, but I, I think this is a, uh, the other sort of situation where they're all dead and and this is some sort of purgatory hell nightmare and I, I know this movie is a lot about nightmares uh Kyle Edward Ball I think has talked about how he had a nightmare as a kid where uh, he's woke up in his house all alone and there was a monster in it and he he expressed that and a lot of other people have had that same nightmare as a kid and this is kind of like an expression of that only the monster's a little different it's not a actual monster but this disembodied voice this entity that's within the house and that's why i think there this is an abuse of home uh, of some sort there was some abuse that went on here and and maybe even I, I don't know the mother is not there at the beginning with the father uh there are multiple lines where uh, i can't remember which of the kids says why is mom crying and and she's not even supposed to be there um there's a moment where the two kids are talking about where's dad and i think kyle says maybe he went with mom and i can't i think it might have been kaylee says i don't want to talk about mom and it just is really weird. I almost wonder if there's supposed to have been some sort of incident with the mother. Maybe she killed the kids and then killed the husband. A murder-suicide thing. I don't know. It's, it's, it's very vague and left up to interpretation. But that's kind of what I thought. There's some sort of traumatic situation that happened that the kids or maybe all of them died. Uh, in some fashion and that's what this is this is just this nightmare scenario of these kids being stuck in this trauma or stuck in the aftermath of this trauma uh, that they all suffered and that's one of the things that I think helped by watching the short film that this is kind of based on for lack of a better term heck of course heck is just a, a less sweary way to say hell and at the end of the short film heck the little boy sees his mother again only it's his mother who has her mouth missing and 
you hear the dialogue at the end uh, of of Heck, where I don't know if it's the kid or the mom. Uh, I think it may have been the mom saying, I think we're in hell. And that's really what I think this is. I think these kids are in hell, so to speak, whether that's a literal hell, whether that is a manifestation of, like I said, their trauma. Uh, there's there's a lot to work out here and a lot to unpack. And, and you really, you could look at this a thousand different ways and each way would probably not be wrong because, like I said, so much of this movie is left up to interpretation and so much of this movie is not explained. And that's, that's kind of what I liked about it is the fact that nothing really is explained. It just is. And... You take it for what it is, and you uh, take from it what you will. And and I, I like that about a movie. Sometimes I like when movies... Uh, another movie we're going to talk about later on in this week, uh, so There's Something Wrong with the Children, it is another movie that uh, doesn't explain what's going on. It just shows you what happens and lets you kind of draw your own conclusions. Sometimes I like to have... Sometimes things need to be explained just because they weren't done well enough to garner not having it explained but then there are some movies like this that you know it you gave me enough to help me figure it out on my own and and i don't need much more explanation Uh, there's something wrong with the children was like that it showed me enough that i i don't need to have any more explained now in something like this where it is a lot of vagary a lot of things that don't make sense a little more explanation would have been nice, but but I don't think I need it because it's not supposed to make sense. It, it's supposed to be mind-bending and experimental. And, and I think Kyle Edward Ball was very successful in that. So ultimately, as much as I want to say I, I didn't like it, uh, because it wasn't a, a typical three-act movie with a plot and a, a succinct narrative and compelling characters and whatever. I enjoyed it because it was different. And I think that's why a lot of people are clamoring for this movie and have, have kind of latched on to this movie is because it is something different. This is very experimental from Jump Street. Anytime you hear Kyle Edward Ball talk about this. He talks about it being experimental. This movie is very much like an experimental film school project meets a, an art housey avant-garde film meets kind of that lo-fi indie horror of the of the 70s and kind of puts it all in a blender and hits puree and i think that's what like i said people have gravitated to is the fact that kyle edward ball took a lot of risks with this i mean this shouldn't have worked but it kind of does and i think that's what a lot of horror fans are clamoring for is that that kind of sense of experimentation and that sense of taking a risk with a horror film to do do something different because we get so much horror these days that is kind of by the numbers we get so much horror that is reboots and sequels you don't get a lot of people doing things different every once in a while you'll get you'll get a filmmaker that does something a little bit different but no one that really jumps off the deep end to do something totally unheard of like this filming this in this way uh, whether it was stylistically or budgetary kyle edward ball filmed this the way he did and as much as it shouldn't work it kind of works and as much as i 
don't want to say I enjoyed this. I, I kind of did enjoy this just because if at anything, it gets the mind working overtime trying to figure out what you just saw, what scared the shit out of you, why it scared the shit out of you, and making sense of the nightmare scenario that you just watched for an hour and 40 minutes. And I also think it was pretty cool that Kyle Ball recorded this or filmed this movie in his childhood home. It's a, the home that his parents still live in. Uh, a lot of the toys that they had in this uh, were some of his childhood toys that his mom kept from when he was uh, a little kid. Even the phone, even the chatter telephone. He wanted that in his movie and he thought it was going to be something he had to go on eBay to find. But when he was looking through a bunch of his old toys that his mom kept, kind of the keepsakey ones, uh, he found staring up at him this phone with those little eyes. And he didn't even remember having that as a kid, but it was exactly what he wanted for the movie. And it worked perfectly because that phone and the scenes it was in was just creepy. Toys with faces uh, always kind of creeped me out as a kid. So it was really kind of cool that, uh, you know, he had a love for this movie. This movie, like I said, it felt art housey. It felt avant-garde. It, it felt like experimental horror, but it never really felt pretentious. This really did feel like a passion project for somebody that that really wanted to explore childhood trauma, childhood nightmares, and doing it in the home that he grew up in. Uh, you could just feel the love for this project. In this movie, like I said, didn't feel, I mean, it could have come across as pretentious, but I don't think it did. It didn't feel pretentious to me. It felt, it definitely felt experimental. It felt like somebody who was, was trying to say something without telling you what they're saying, but a movie that shouldn't have worked, I really do think worked. So I encourage you to check it out. Uh, if it's not in the theater when you hear this, I encourage you to go check it out in the movie theater. If not, it's coming out on Shutter next month. I I don't think there is a an exact date out for the Shutter release, but it is coming in February from what I've heard. So be looking for that. And if you haven't watched Skinamarink from uh, Kyle Edward Ball, uh, I encourage you to check it out. If anything. Uh, whether you like it, whether you don't, it is going to be one of those films that is an experience that you, you almost, as a horror fan, you almost have to experience it just just once, just to say you did. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in, listening to my thoughts on the new film, Skinamarink. You can check out more about what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page, where we're posting trailers and articles that I find from all over the internet. Uh, I like to add my two thoughts on the horror, fantasy, and science fiction genres that, that uh, we're posting articles about. Uh, be listening. Our next episode's coming up on Thursday for the new film that's out. I believe you can check it out, Video On Demand. It is There's Something Wrong With The Children, another creepy horror film that uh, I, I really dug. We'll talk about that a little more in detail coming up on Thursday's episode. And no matter where you listen to this podcast, please subscribe to it, follow it, uh, download the episodes, share the episodes with anyone you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. And as always, please leave those reviews. Five stars would be awesome, but any review you leave, we do appreciate that. That really helps these podcast platforms know that uh, people are listening and they need to spread the word and expose more people to this podcast. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. 
we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!